Chapters 17 and 18 of Tom Swift and His War Tank. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Tom Swift and His War Tank by Victor Appleton. Chapter 17 Veiled Threats. Like some prehistoric monster about to charge down upon another of its kind, Tank A, under the guidance of Tom Swift, reeled and bumped her way over the uneven fields toward the old barn. Within the monster of steel and iron were raucous noises, the clang and clatter of the powerful gasoline motors, the rattle of the wheels and gears, all making so much noise that in the engine-room proper not a word could be heard. Every order had to be given by signs, and Tom sent his electric signals from the conning tower in the same way. When running at full speed, it was almost impossible, even in the tower, which was some distance removed from the engine room, to hear voices unless the words were shouted. "'Why don't you go at it?' cried Ned to his friend, who was peering through the observation slot in the tower. "'I'm getting in good position,' Tom answered, "'or rather the worst position I can find. I want to give the tank a good try-out.' and I'm going at the barn on the assumption that this is an enemy country and that I can't pick and choose my advance. So I want to come up through that gully and go at the barn from the long way. That will be the worst possible way I could do it, and if old Tank A stands the gaff, I'll know she's a little bit nearer all right. I think she's all right as she is, asserted Ned in a yell, for just then Tom signaled for more speed and the consequent increase in the rattling and banging noises made it correspondingly difficult for talk to be heard. The big machine now tipped into the little gully spoken of by Tom. This meant a dip downward, and then a climb out again, and an attack on the barn going uphill and at an angle. But, as the young inventor had said, it would make a severe test, and that was what he wanted to give his ponderous machine. Ned grasped one of the safety rings, as, with a reel to one side, almost as if it were going to capsize, the tank rumbled on. Tom cast a half-amused smile at his chum, and then threw over the guiding lever. The tank rolled down into the gully. It was rough, and filled with stones and boulders, some of considerable size. But Tank A made less than nothing, even of the largest rocks. Some she crushed beneath her steel belts. Others she simply walked over, smashing them down into the soil. Now the big machine reached the bottom of the gulch and started up the sides, which, though not as steep as the trench in which she had capsized, still were not easy going. "'Now for it!' cried Tom, as he signaled for full speed. Up climbed the tank. Now she was halfway. A moment later and she was at the top, and then a forward careening motion told that she had passed over the summit and was ready for the attack proper. Ned gave a quick glance through the slot nearest him. He had a glimpse of the barn, and then he saw something else. This was the sight of a man running away from the dilapidated structure, a man who glanced toward the tank with a face that showed great fright. "'Stop! Stop!' yelled Ned. "'There may be folks in there, Tom. I just saw a man run out.' "'All right!' Tom cried, but Ned could hardly hear him. "'Tell me when we get on the other side. We're going through now.' "'But!' shouted Ned. "'Don't you understand? I saw a man come out of there. Maybe there's more inside. Wait, Tom, and—' 
but it was too late. The next instant there was a smashing, grinding, splintering crash, a noise as of a thunderclap, and Tank A fairly ate her way through the old barn as a rat might eat his way into a soft cheese, only infinitely more quickly. On and on and through and through went the tank, knocking beams, boards, rafters, and timbers hither and thither. Minding not at all the weight of great beams on her back, caring nothing for those that got in the way of her steel belts, heeding not the wall of wood that reared itself before her in a barrier of splinters and slivers, Tank A went on and on until finally, with another grinding crash, as she smashed her way through the farthermost wall, the great engine of war emerged on the other side and came panting into the field, dragging with her a part of the structure clinging to her steel sides. "'Well!' cried Tom with a laugh, as he signaled for the power to be shut off, thereby making it possible for ordinary conversation to be heard. "'I guess we didn't do a thing to that barn!' "'Not much left of it for a fact, Tom!' agreed Ned, as he looked through the after-observation slots at the ruin in the rear. "'But didn't you hear what I was saying?' "'I heard you yelling something to me, but I was too anxious to go at it as fast as I could.' I didn't want to stop then. What was the trouble? That's what I'm afraid of, Tom. There may be trouble. Just before you tackled the barn for a knockdown, instead of a touchdown, as we might say, I saw a man running out of it. I thought if there was one there, perhaps there might be more. That's why I yelled to you. A man running from the old barn, cried Tom. Whew, he whistled. I wish I had seen him. But, Ned, if one ran out of harm's way, any others who might possibly be in there would do the same thing, wouldn't they? I hope so, returned Ned doubtfully. Great Scott! cried Tom, as the possibility was borne home to him. If anything has happened... He sprang for the door of the tower and threw over the catch, springing out, followed by Ned. From the engine room of the armored tank the men came, "'smiles of gratification on their faces. "'We certainly have busted her wide open, Mr. Swift,' called the chief mechanic. "'Yes,' assented the young inventor, "'but there was not as much gratification in his voice as there should have been. "'There isn't much of a barn left, but Ned thinks he saw someone run out, "'and if there was one man, there may have been more. "'We'd better have a look around, I guess.' "'The engineering force exchanged glances.' Then Hank Baldwin, who was in charge of the motors, said, "'Well, if there was anybody in that barn when we chewed her up, I wouldn't give much for his hide, German or not.' "'Let us hope no one was in there,' murmured Tom. They turned to go back to the demolished structure, fear and worry in their hearts. No more complete ruin could be imagined. If a cyclone had swept over the barn, it could not have more certainly leveled it. And not only was it leveled, crushed down in the center by the great weight of the tank, but the boards and beams were broken into small pieces. Parts of them clung in long, grotesque splinters to the endless steel belts. "'I don't see how we're going to find anybody if he's in there,' remarked Hank. "'We'll have to,' insisted Tom. "'We can look about and call. If anyone is there, he may have been off to one side or to one end,' and be protected under the debris. I wish I had heard you call, Ned. 
I wish you had, Tom. I yelled for all I was worth. I know you did. I was too eager to go on, and at the same time I really couldn't stop well on that hill. I had to keep on going. Well, now to learn the worst. They walked back toward the demolished barn, but they had not reached it when from around the corner swung a big automobile. In it were several men, but chief, in vision at least, among them, was a burly farmer who had a long, old-fashioned gun in his hands. On his bearded face was a grim look as he leaped out before the machine had fairly stopped, and called, "'Hold on there! I guess you've done damage enough. Now you can pay for it or take the consequences!' And he motioned to Tom, Ned, and the others to halt. End of Chapter 17 Chapter 18 Ready for France such was the reaction following the crashing through of the barn, coupled with the sudden appearance of the men in the automobile and the threat of the farmer, that for the moment Tom, Ned, or their companions from the tank could say nothing. They just stood staring at the farmer with the gun, while he grimly regarded them. It was Tom who spoke first. "'What's the idea?' asked the young inventor. "'Why don't you want us to look through the ruins?' "'You'll learn soon enough.' was the grim answer. But Tom was not to be put off with undecided talk. "'If there's been an accident,' he said, "'we're sorry for it, but delay may be dangerous. If someone is hurt—' "'You'll be hurt if I have my way about it,' snapped the farmer. "'And hurt in a place where it always tells. I mean your pocketbook. That's the kind of man I am. Practical.' "'He means if you've killed or injured anyone, we'll have to pay damages.' whispered Ned to Tom. But don't agree to anything until you see your lawyer. That's a hot one, though, trying to claim damages before he knows who's hurt. I've got to find out more about this, Tom answered. He started to walk on. No, you don't, cried the farmer with a snarl. As I said, you folks have done damage enough with your threshing machine, or whatever you call it. Now you've got to pay. "'We are willing to,' said Tom, as courteously as he could. "'But first we want to know who has been hurt, or possibly killed. "'Don't you think it best to get them to a doctor "'and then talk about money damages later?' "'Doctor? Hurt?' cried the farmer. "'The other men in the auto saying nothing. "'Who said anything about that?' "'I thought,' began Tom, "'that you—' "'I'm talking about damages to my barn!' cried the farmer. You had no right to go smashing it up this way, and you've got to pay for it, or my name ain't Amos Kanker. Oh, and there was great relief in Tom's voice. Then we haven't killed anyone. I don't know what you've done, answered the farmer, and his voice was not a pleasant one. I'm sure I can't keep track of all your ructions. All I know is that you've ruined my barn, and you've got to pay for it, and pay good, too. For that old ramshackle, cried Ned. Hush, begged Tom in a low voice. I'm willing to pay, Ned, for the sake of having proved what my tank could do. I'm only too glad to learn no one was hurt. Was there? he asked, turning to the farmer. Was there what? Was there anybody in your barn? Not as I knows on was the grouchy answer. 
The man who saw your machine coming thought she was headed for my building, and he run and told me. Then some friends of mine brought me here in their machine. I tell you I've got all the evidence I need agin you, and I'm going to have damages. That barn was worth three thousand dollars if it was worth a cent, and— This matter can easily be settled, said Tom, trying to keep his temper. My name is Swift, and— Don't get Swift with me, that's all I ask. And the farmer laughed grimly at his clumsy joke. I'll do whatever is right, Tom said, with dignity. I live over near Shopton, and if you want to send your lawyer to see mine, why— I don't believe in lawyers, broke in the farmer. All they think of is to get what they can for their selves. And I can do that for myself. I'll get it out of you before you leave, or anyhow, before you take your contraption away. And he glanced at the tank. The same suspicion came at once to Tom and Ned, and the latter gave voice to it when he murmured in a low voice to his chum, "'This is a frame-up, a scheme, Tom. He doesn't care a rap for the barn. It's some of that Blakeson's doing to make trouble for you.' "'I believe you,' agreed Tom. "'Now I know what to do.' He looked toward the collapsed barn, as if making a mental computation of its value, and then turned toward the farmer. "'I'm very sorry,' said Tom, "'if I have caused any trouble. "'I wanted to test my machine out on a wooden structure, "'and I picked your barn. "'I suppose I should have come to you first, "'but I did not want to waste time. "'I saw the barn was of practically no value.' "'No value?' broke in the farmer. "'Well, I'll show you, young man, "'that you can't play fast and loose "'with other people's property and not settle.' "'I'm perfectly willing to, Mr. Canker.' I could see that the barn was almost ready to fall, and I had already determined, before sending my tank through it, to pay the owner any reasonable sum. I'm willing to do that now. "'Well, of course, if you're so ready to do that,' replied the farmer, and Ned thought he caught a glance pass between him and one of the men in the auto. "'If you're ready to do that, just hand over three thousand dollars, and we'll call it a day's work.' It's really worth more, but I'll say three thousand for a quick settlement. Why, this barn, cried Ned, isn't worth half that. I know something about real estate values, for our bank makes loans on farms around here. Your bank ain't made me no loans, young man, snapped Mr. Canker. I don't need none. My place is free and clear, and three thousand dollars is the price of my barn you've knocked to smithereens. If you don't want to pay, I'll find a way to make you, and I'll hold you, or your tank, as you call it, security for my damages. You can take your choice about that. You can't hold us, cried Tom. Such things aren't done here. Well, then I'll hold your tank, cried the farmer. I guess it'll sell for pretty nigh unto what you owe me, though what it's good for I can't see. "'So you pay me three thousand dollars "'or leave your machine here as security.' "'That's the game,' whispered Ned. "'There's some plot here. "'They want to get possession of your tank, Tom, "'and they've seized on this chance to do it.' "'I believe you,' agreed the young inventor. "'Well, they'll find out two can play at that game. "'Mr. Canker,' he went on, "'it is out of the question to claim your barn "'is worth three thousand dollars.' "'Oh, is it?' sneered the farmer. Well, I didn't ask you to come here and make kindling wood of it. 
That was your doings, and you've had your fun out of it. Now you can pay the piper, and I'm here to make you pay. And he brought the gun around in a menacing manner. He's right in a way, said Ned to his chum. We should have secured his permission first. He's got us in a corner, and almost any jury of farmers around here, after they heard the story of the smashed barn, would give him heavy damages. It isn't so much that the barn is worth that as it is his property rights that we violated. A farmer's barn is his castle, so to speak. I guess you're right, agreed Tom with a rather rueful face. But I'm not going to hand him over $3,000. In fact, I haven't that much with me. Oh, well, I don't suppose he'd want it all in cash. But it appeared that was just what the farmer wanted. He went over all his arguments again, and it could not be denied that he had the law on his side. As he rightly said, Tom could not expect to go about the country smashing up barns and such like without being willing to pay. "'Well, what are you going to do?' asked the farmer at last. "'I can't stay here all day. I've got work to do. I can't go around smashing barns. I want three thousand dollars, or I'll hold your contraption for security.' This last he announced with more conviction after he had had a talk with one of the men in the automobile. And it was this consultation that confirmed Tom and Ned in their belief that the whole thing was a plot growing out of Tom's rather reckless destruction of the barn, a plot on the part of Blakeson and his gang. That they had so speedily taken advantage of this situation, carelessly given them, was only another evidence of how closely they were on Tom's trail. "'That man who ran out of the barn must have been the same one who was in the factory,' whispered Ned to his chum. "'He probably saw us coming this way and ran on ahead to have the farmer all primed in readiness.' Maybe he knew you had planned to ram the barn. Maybe he did. I've had it in mind for some time, and spoken to some of my men about it. More traitors in camp, then, I'm afraid, Tom. We'll have to do some more detective work. But let's get this thing settled. He only wants to hold your tank, and that will give the man, into whose hands he's playing, a chance to inspect her. I believe you. But if I have to leave her here, I'll leave some men on guard inside. It won't be any worse than being stalled in no man's land. In fact, it won't be so bad. But I'll do that rather than be gouged. No, Tom, you won't. If you did leave someone on guard, there'd be too much chance of their getting the best of him. You must take your tank away with you. But how can I? I can't put up $3,000 in cash... "'and he says he won't take a check for fear I'll stop payment. "'I see his game, but I don't see how to block it.' "'But I do!' cried Ned. "'What?' exclaimed Tom. "'You don't mean to say, even if you do work in a bank, "'that you've got three thousand in cash concealed about your person, do you?' "'Pretty nearly, Tom, or what is just as good. "'I have that amount in Liberty Bonds. "'I was going to deliver them to a customer who has ordered them.' but not paid for them. They are charged up against me at the bank, but I'm good for that, I guess. Now I'll loan you these bonds, and you can give them to this cranky old farmer as security for damages. Mind, don't make them as a payment. They're simply security, the same as when an autoist leaves his car as bail. 
only we don't want to leave our car. We'd rather have it with us. And he looked over at the tank, bristling with splinters from the demolished barn. Well, I guess that's the only way out, said Tom. Lucky you had those bonds with you. I'll take them and give you a receipt for them. In fact, I'll buy them from you and let the farmer hold them as security. And this eventually was done. After much hemming and hawing and consultation with the men in the automobile, Mr. Kanker said he would accept the bonds. It was made clear that they were not in payment of any damages, though Tom admitted he was liable for some, but that Uncle Sam's war securities were only a sort of bail, given to indicate that, some time later, when a jury had passed on the matter, the young inventor would pay Mr. Kanker whatever sum was agreed upon as just. And now said Tom, as politely as he could under the circumstances, I suppose we will be allowed to depart. Yes, take your old shebang off of my property, ordered Mr. Kanker, with no very good grace, and if you go knocking down any more barns, I'll double the price on you. I guess he's a bit royal because he couldn't hold the tank, observed Ned to Tom as they walked together to the big machine. His friends, our enemies, evidently hoped that was what could be done. They want to get at some of the secrets. I suppose so, conceded Tom. Well, we're out of that, and I've proved all I want to. But I haven't quite, said Ned. What's missing? asked his chum as they got back in the tank. Well, I'd like to make sure that the fellow who ran from the factory was the same one I saw sneaking out of the barn. I believe he was, and I believe that Simpson's crowd engineered this whole thing. I believe so, too, Tom agreed. The next thing is to prove it, but that will keep until later. The main thing is, we've got our tank, and now I'm going to get her ready for France. Will she be in shape to ship soon? asked Ned. Yes, if nothing more happens. I've got a few little changes and adjustments to make, and then she'll be ready for the last test, one of long-distance endurance, mainly. After that, apart she comes to go to the front, and we'll begin making them in quantities here and on the other side. Good! cried Ned. Down with the Huns! Without further incident of moment, they went back to the headquarters of the tank, and soon the great machine was safe in the shop where she had been made. The next two weeks were busy ones for Tom, and in them he put the finishing touches on his machine, gave it a long test over fields and through woods, until finally he announced, She's as complete as I can make her. She's ready for France. End of chapter.